Welcome back to the Locust Grove Podcast. We are glad you decided to join us. You are listening to not one of our What It Means to Be a Healthy Church Member study. and not one, we are looking at being a biblically committed church member. We hope you enjoy the study with us. You know, churches face a variety of issues, a variety of challenges, a variety of threats. You know, sometimes I, as I look around at the church landscape, I feel like there are as many issues in churches as there are churches, because with each unique church comes a unique issue and a unique challenge. And, and I think that the churches are really constantly battling the temptation to dilute certain difficult um, truths and difficult practices. We're, we're constantly facing challenges to compromise and, and, and to dilute the, the convictions that Scripture lays out for us. Now, the truths um, and, and, and the practices that are in danger really vary depending on if the church has taken a more liberal drift or if they have uh, fallen victim to a, a more legalistic drift. But both come with their own unique challenges and temptations. A simple example of that might be that a liberal church dilutes a biblical understanding of God's justice. They dilute a biblical understanding of God's wrath, while a legalistic church might dilute a biblical understanding of God's love and God's grace. But there's one biblical practice that I believe is constantly being diluted by all kinds of churches, churches that fall somewhere in the middle, churches that have drifted uh, more towards um, a liberal position or more towards a legalistic position, I feel like. All kinds of churches are, are constantly um, tempted and even falling victim to diluting uh, this one practice. Now, that practice is the practice of biblical church membership. As a matter of fact, some churches have abandoned church membership altogether. Others have continued with church membership without a biblical model for adding church members, without a biblical model for removing church members. And when that happens, even if you have church members, but if you don't have a biblical model for adding them or for removing them, it really eliminates any potential for accountability and responsibility of commitment. Joshua Harris, a young man, shared his attitude towards the church. And I believe that Josh's attitude is reflective of the attitude of many people today. Here's what he said. When I graduated from my church high school youth group, I started visiting around. I loved God and had big dreams for how I wanted to serve him, but I didn't see any reason to get too involved in one church. By then, I thought I knew all there was to know about church, and I wasn't impressed. Most churches struck me as out of date and out of touch. There had to be better, more efficient ways to accomplish Great things for God. You see what Josh is saying. Josh considered the church secondary. He considered the church as something that was outmoded, inefficient, and possibly even a hindrance. It wasn't that he didn't love God or even love God's people 
in the church. He just didn't think that belonging to a particular church was important. Again, he thought that it's possible that belonging to a church might even be a hindrance. Now, the fact of the matter is, Josh is not a unique case. Josh is not alone in his perspective of the church. People think that church, especially church membership, that is, when I say church membership, I'm talking about actually signing up and committing to something. But they think of church, especially church membership, as, as, a, as a spiritual relic that's just destined to, to, to hinder um, the, the work of God, to hinder the advancement of the gospel that prevents freedom, that, that, that puts a stop to fruitfulness. Now, I think we can identify a number of a number of reasons that so many people feel this type of way about the church and about church membership. I think the fact of the matter is that there are some Christians that are just plain indifferent to church membership. They they don't really care one way or the other. They don't have any interest in being committed uh, in in any form or fashion. They when it comes to church membership, they can take it or leave it. They don't have a positive view of church membership, but they also don't really have a negative view of church membership. It just it doesn't matter to them. Other people don't so much struggle with indifference as they are indecisive. They can't make up their minds about joining a church or what type of church to join or where to join. Most of these people are uh, perhaps the type of people that never really make any decisions, right? You probably know those type of those type of people. They they don't really make decisions, decisions just sort of happen to them. Um, they're just indecisive people. There are others that have this type of view of church membership that we might consider independent people. Um, we might call them Lone Ranger Christians, the type of people that, uh, that are really, really strong in their stance that they can be a good Christian without being part of a local body. They don't want to be saddled with the burdens of church membership as they put it they don't want people all up in their business they they simply want to come into a church they want to consume what they need and then they want to leave unattached to the church then finally there are those who are slow to commit to a local church because their affections are inverted maybe this is the least common but i believe that it is still somewhat common maybe these people have strong attachments to a to a home church in the town that they grew up in, yet their bodies are now hundreds and hundreds of miles away from that hometown. But even though they've left physically, they, they never really left that church emotionally. They're still attached to it in their past, and so they neglect uh, the need to join a local church where they live now. But here's the thing, though there are many different reasons that people have this uh, this view of church membership as really unnecessary and even possibly uh, a hindrance, they all have this common root. All of these perspectives on the local church stem from this same problem. It is a failure to understand and to take seriously God's intent that the local church be central to the life of his people. God has established in his word, we'll begin, we'll begin learning this tonight, we'll begin studying this tonight, but he has established in his word that the local church should be central in the life of a Christian. For a maturing Christian, you need to be 
committed. You need to sign up and join up with a healthy local church. But here's the thing. People don't become committed members of churches, and therefore they don't become healthy Christians because they don't understand that such a commitment is precisely how God intends his people to live out the faith and to experience Christian love. Listen, here's, here's, this will be the first blank on your handout tonight to get you started. But if we, here's what I believe with all my heart. If we dilute church membership, what we're really doing is we're diluting the gospel. If we dilute church membership, then we're really diluting the gospel. Allow me to share with you what I think is a very helpful definition of church membership given by Jonathan Lehman from Nine Marks Ministry. He writes this. Church membership, listen now, this is important, is a formal relationship between a local church and a Christian characterized by the church's affirmation and oversight of a Christian's discipleship and the Christian's submission to living out his or her discipleship in the care of the church. Listen, I believe that with all of my heart tonight, if churches are going to experience a true revival of restoration we must reclaim and embrace the significance of, of the deep need that we have for biblical church membership. If, uh, if you have talked to me sort of offline, uh, apart from me just being up here on the platform preaching, you might have heard me talk about church membership already and why I think that it is so significant. We'll talk more about this in the weeks to come, but church membership is a covenant. Our God is a covenantal God, right? He has made a habit of signing covenants with his people. And church membership is a covenant. It is where we covenant together under the headship of Christ to do ministry together, to love one another. We're going to talk about that in just a minute, to support one another, to care for one another's needs, and most importantly, to grow and mature together in Christ. We should be committed to one another. We're going to talk very much about love tonight because I think that that's a very important aspect of being a committed church member. We're going to begin tonight with biblical commitment. You'll notice a theme over the next 10 weeks. Every one of the aspects of healthy church membership we're going to talk about begin with the same word, biblical. And tonight we begin with biblical commitment. Now to begin, I think we must ask, what does the Bible really say about church membership. Now, there are certainly a number of places in the New Testament where we can see this clear picture of church membership pop up. However, as with many very important truths, very important doctrines, and very important practices that we find throughout Scripture, you can't turn to the book of church membership. You're not going to be flipping through the pages of your Bible and find find a convenient heading that Bible publishers have put in there on, be, on becoming or being a church member. And so the biblical data that we have isn't always as obvious as we might like it to be, yet the idea of membership is nearly everywhere in Scripture, especially in the New Testament Scriptures. Now, the fact that Scripture talks about church leadership implies the practice of church membership. Let me say that again. The fact that Scripture talks about church leadership implies the practice of church membership. I want to talk for just a few minutes about some of the ways that 
the New Testament implies church membership. And then we're really going to focus in on three chapters in Paul's letter to the Corinthians that, that, that is really where we get uh, the bulk of our clear understanding of what church membership is. But the first way that church membership is implied th is through the way that the New Testament talks about church leadership. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1 are really two classic passages in Scripture that outline for the church qualifications of its leaders. In addition to these qualifications, there are these explicit commands for leaders to shepherd the flock and for Christians to submit to their leaders. Then there's this call in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. And, and by the way, at the bottom of your sheet tonight are all of the Scripture references that I'm going to reference tonight. So I would encourage you as you're praying through this and thinking about how can I be a more committed church member, you would go back um, the rest of this week and sort of reflect on these passages. But the call of Hebrews 13, 17 is for Christians to submit to their leaders. And that sort of call really becomes nonsense if the leaders are not responsible for a group and that group is not attached to the leaders in some way. Why would the New Testament talk so much about leaders if there wasn't anyone for them to lead? Right. And so the fact that the New Testament talks so much about leadership implies the fact that church membership, that there's a group committed to one another and committed um, to those leaders as under shepherds, under Christ, um, really speaks to the significance and the importance of church membership. The second thing I would say is that the presence of church discipline in Scripture is an indicator that church membership should be valued. I've often been tempted to preach a whole series on church discipline because this is certainly something that has been lost in the church. Now, some of you tonight might remember a day and a time when church discipline was much more common than it is today. Uh, we've, we've lost church discipline, I think, because we are, we're, we're, we're scared of the idea, but we're only scared of the idea because we misunderstood the idea. Church discipline was never meant to be punitive, right? Church discipline was always meant to be restorative. Church discipline happens when a brother or sister in Christ, a, a fellow believer, someone who is, has covenanted together with the local body, falls into sin. What happens when you know your brother or sister is falling into sin? Scripture tells us that you go to them. You approach them with that sin. If that doesn't work, you get two or three more and you approach them. Again, the two or three of you approach the person about their sin. If that doesn't work and there's still not repentance, then there becomes this, this public um, this, 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 this public action against the believer that is living in sin, but it's never meant to be punitive, right? There are certainly many of people that have been churched and many more that probably needed to be, but it's never meant to just, just punish the person. It's meant to restore the person. Secondly, it's meant to protect the body. You see, if we allow people that are living in habitual sin to continue to covenant together with one another, we're damaging the testimony of Christ in the local church. We're damaging the health of the church. And so there's a lot that I think there's for us to learn about church discipline. But let me just say a few more things about it tonight. In 1 Corinthians 5, Paul instructs the church to put out of their fellowship a man that was involved in sexual immorality. Literally, that's what he said. You need to put this man out of your fellowship. Jesus commanded a very similar action in Matthew 18, one of the most significant passages on church discipline. But part of the reason the Bible commands the practice of church discipline is so that clear distinctions can be made and can be maintained between God's people, right, between the church and the surrounding world. If we compromise on holding each other accountable for sin, 
then what we're really doing is compromising on whether or not we even look any different than the world, right? If we allow sin to exist in our midst, why are we any different than any other secular organization, right? And so these things are certainly significant, but for our purposes tonight, the very fact that Scripture teaches church discipline implies the fact that church membership is significant. Next, the fact that the New Testament speaks of keeping lists and voting is another indicator of church membership. The New Testament teaches us to keep lists and to vote. We have evidence of that in the early that the early church kept lists associated with its membership, right? For example, in 1 Timothy 5, we understand that a list of widows were, was being kept. Also, Christians in the local church voted for some of the actions. It was the majority who ended up voting to remove the man from, member, from membership in the church at Corinth. And so electing leaders, submitting to them, regulating membership, keeping lists, and voting only makes sense if there is a known, identifiable, and distinct body that is being recognized. Now, let's focus on the largest section that the New Testament has to offer on church membership. If you want to, you can turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. As a matter of fact, we're going to be covering parts of chapter 12, 13, and 14 tonight. Now, I'm not going to be reading um, all, of these, all, all of these chapters. I'm just going to be um, sort of hitting the high marks here as we really try to define what a committed church member looks like. So if you want to turn to 1 Corinthians 12, uh, you'll be able to find these verses as we walk through them together. But to give you a little bit of a brief overview, first, in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul explains the metaphor of the church being a body with many members. Then in 1 Corinthians 13, he established love as an essential attitude and action that all members should have. Then in 1 Corinthians 14, he comes back to this messed up church at Corinth. I always, if I have any pastor friends that get discouraged about the health of their church, I just tell them to read Corinthians because this church had all sorts of problems. And Paul returns to this, uh, to this, to this really messed up church in Corinth that had this, this crazy concept of membership. They had it all wrong. Now, we have to understand something from the outset here as we look at these three chapters. The Bible explains members differently than secular culture explains members. You've probably heard the example of the country club used in the past. And a country club is a common way that secular culture views membership. You join up, you pay your dues, and you get something in return. Um, that's not necessarily the way it works with the church. You join up, you commit to one another, you work together, you suffer together, you serve together, you labor together, you love together, um, you're, you're in it together. You don't just pay your dues, show up, get what you want, and then leave. Um, it's, it's a totally different uh, definition of membership. For example, the term there in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 27 into the verse, first part of verse 28, look at what Paul says, Now ye are the body of Christ, and members... In particular, and God has set some in the church. And he goes on to give some examples of what uh, some of the members may do. But, but you see what Paul's doing here. Members of a church comprise the whole and their essential parts of the whole. Their essential, they comprise the body and their essential parts of the body. Now, the Apostle Paul would carry this, this body metaphor even further, explaining that members are individual parts of the body. 
Some are eyes, others are ears, some are feet, others are hands. This is why he includes there in 1 Corinthians 12, 12. He says this, for as the body is one and hath many members and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. Now, if you notice, we're really getting this, this picture of this beautiful diversity in the midst of unity in church membership. And so what we're learning here is that membership means we are different, but we still work together. Church membership means that we are all different, but we are still working together. The Bible is making it clear that if one part does not do its job, the whole body doesn't function well. But if one part does his job well, the whole body rejoices and is stronger. 1 Corinthians 12, 26, Paul says, And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. But we also learn in this letter that membership means everything we say and do is based on a biblical foundation of love. Membership means that everything we say and do is based on a biblical foundation of love. Now, most people who have read 1 Corinthians chapter 13 speak glowingly of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And of course, this is a this is a this is a passage in the Bible that is commonly known as the love chapter. Right? It's 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 read at weddings. Um, it is used for a husband to declare his love for his wife or vice versa. It's it's preached um, to demonstrate this this full meaning of a of agape love that's unconditional love. And to be clear, there's absolutely nothing wrong with using this love chapter in those contexts. But we have to understand this chapter's original context. Paul didn't write 1 Corinthians 13 for a wedding. He wrote 1 Corinthians 13 for the church. 1 Corinthians 13 is, is written so that the church would know how to act towards one another. So that, so that covenant members of the local body of Christ would know how to engage with one another, to care for one another. I mean, in its, in its original context, it's, it's to demonstrate how Christians ought to relate to other Christians. I'll, when I think about the original context of 1 Corinthians 13, I, I think about maybe a, a hostile church business meeting. Maybe you have looked up and you've never suffered through a hostile church business meeting. But I've thought about some of the hostile church business meetings I've been a part of and what it would have been like if the preacher would have just stopped and read 1 Corinthians 13. You know, it's probably the best use of 1 Corinthians 13. That's, that's probably the first place that it should be read. When Christians start acting hostile towards one another, we probably just ought to stop and read 1 Corinthians 13 together. Now, it's really amazing as we start to consider this, this chapter. Because I believe that if we can just abide by the principles of this love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, then we would have completely healthy churches. There's a lot of books written on church health. And most of those books, if not all of those books, use scripture to develop their thesis, to develop their strategy. But to be honest with you, I think if churches would just read 1 Corinthians 13 and church members would just apply 1 Corinthians 13 to how we deal with each other in all times, in all places, in all circumstances, we wouldn't have a church health crisis in our country. I believe that 1 Corinthians 13 would 
resolve that. I mean, just look at some of the relational principles in 1 Corinthians 13. I'm looking here primarily at verses 4 and 5. Of course, the King James is translating agape as charity here, but it's literally translated love. Paul writes, charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself. It is not puffed up, does not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, and thinketh no evil. Now, listening to the principles of just these two verses in this one chapter alone are really sufficient to cause revival in most churches. You see, here's the thing. We are not to just love fellow church members just because they are lovable. We are to love the unlovable as well. You know, I've also often joked about people that are somewhat unlovable. I'll just say something like, hey, Jesus loves them. And I'm trying, right? But we ought to love even the unlovable, not just the ones that are easy to love. We, we are supposed to pray for and encourage our, our pastors and our leaders, not just when they are doing things we like. We should pray for them and encourage them even when they do things we don't like. We're not supposed to just serve the church only when others are joining in in service. We are supposed to serve the church even if no one else is coming along with us. But what we really see here with Paul placing 1 Corinthians 13 right in the middle of his, of his really explanation and teaching on healthy church membership of the church at Corinth, what, what, he's, what he's really saying is that church membership is, is foundational. It's at, the, it's at the center of it all. Church membership is founded on love. Listen, authentic, biblical, unconditional love is what church membership must be marked by. We can also say that a healthy church member is a functioning church member. A healthy church member is a functioning church member. In some sense, I think the question, what does a committed church member look like, um, is, is really, really summed up in the functioning aspect of, uh, of a church member. And this is really what our entire 10 or 11 week study is about. But I want us to close tonight by exploring this question really in relation to the essential commands and, and marks of love. So some of these we will, many of these, we'll be hitting on again or we'll be diving into more deeply. You'll see them listed on your sheet there tonight. But I just wanted to give you a, a real clear outline for what, a, for what a committed church member looks like. First, a committed church member attends regularly attends regularly. This is the first and most important ministry of every Christian in the local church. You can't be a functioning church member if you aren't here to function. Now, I'm probably preaching to the choir tonight, but sometimes the choir needs encouraging, right? If you, if you are going to be a healthy, functioning church member, you have to be here in order to function. Now, that extends beyond just uh, a weekly Sunday service and a weekly Wednesday night service, right? Because the church functions beyond just a worship service or a Wednesday night service. To, to function as a healthy church member, you must be a part of all of the church functionings, at least the ones that suit, uh, that, you're that you're calling and that your gifts are suited for. You know, being present, being known, and being active are the only ways that we can make Christian love possible. When we think about love, you can't love people that you're never around. Maybe that's the easiest way for you to love some people, but you can't actively love and show your love to people who you are not around. Number two, 
A committed church member seeks peace. A committed church member seeks peace. You see, a committed church member commits to the maintenance of peace in the congregation. Paul said in Romans, let us pursue what makes for peace, a mutual building. James tells us that righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And so as functioning, healthy, committed church members, we should be seeking peace. Peace can really only be sought from a foundation of love. Number three, a committed church member edifies others. A committed church member edifies others. You know, the one consistent purpose or goal of the public meeting of the church, that would be a Sunday morning service or a Wednesday night service. That, that the, the, the one consistent purpose of those, surf, of those services is the mutual edification of believers. It's, it's building each other up in the faith. Listen, a healthy and committed member comes to serve, not to be served, right? We imitate Jesus in that. Jesus didn't come to this earth to be served. He came to this earth to serve. And so we don't come to church to be served. We come to church in order to serve. We come to provide, not to be a consumer only. Also, a committed church member warns and admonishes others. Committed church member warns and admonishes others. Listen, a committed member is committed to speaking the truth and love to his brothers and sisters, to helping them avoid pitfalls and encouraging them in holiness and Christian joy. I don't want to spend a lot of time with this illustration tonight, but in my previous church, I had um, a very committed family that was having some very serious um, behavior issues and sin issues uh, with their uh, mostly grown daughter. And one of the things that the father just kept struggling with, as he said, anytime I try to approach her or some of the family that was taking her side about her sin, the first thing they do is throw my sin back in my face. The first thing they do is tell me to worry about the log in my own eye. And he said, so what in the world do I do? And I said, well, this is the number one reason that true church uh, discipline or accountability in the church doesn't happen. Because we're too, we're too willing to call out someone else's sin without allowing them to confront our sin. And so I said, your very first response, if you go to call out her sin and she calls out your sin, is to show her what it looks like to repent of your sin. So that way she'll know what it looks like to repent of her sin. And I think that this is really what we're, we're talking about when we talk about warning and admonishing others. We must go to someone if we're, if we're worried for them, we're concerned for their well-being, we're concerned about their behavior. We don't just go to them ready to, to confront them, but we go to them ready to be confronted ourselves. And then you don't just have an opportunity to tell them what they need to do. You're able to show them and model for them what they ought to do. Next, a committed church member pursues reconciliation. A committed church member pursues reconciliation. You see, Christians are to be people who are reconciled to God through Christ. If you have not been reconciled to God through Christ, you are not a Christian. And as a consequence, we have been given the ministry of reconciliation, right? That's what Scripture tells us. We have been given a ministry of reconciliation. So a committed member strives to repair breaches as quickly as possible, even 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 continuing into public worship, we we strive to reconcile 
damaged relationships. We strive to reconcile breaches. Now, if you haven't learned this about me yet, you'll learn this about me at some point. Um, hopefully, there won't be a need to learn this about me anytime soon. But if there's an issue, if I see the potential for an issue, I'm going to address it. I'm going to bring it up because we have a ministry of reconciliation. And so if there's an issue that needs to be reconciled or a potential issue that needs to be reconciled, I'm going to call you on the phone. I'm going to come and see you. We're going to address it as a group. If it's a group, we'll address it as a church if it's a church because we have been given a ministry of reconciliation. And if reconciliation is not uh, embedded in our heart, then we can't consider ourselves healthy and committed church members. Next, a committed church member bears with others. Ministers of reconciliation must be patient. We must possess long-suffering. We must be characterized by, by meeting in such a way that we do not think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. We must hold up under the weight of disappointments, frustrations, loss, attacks, slander, and, and defenses. And by bearing each other's burdens, we begin to fulfill the law of Christ. Next, a committed church member prepares for the ordinances. A committed church member prepares for the ordinances. We'll talk about this more in the weeks to come. But for tonight, a committed member rejoices at the baptism of a new believer. But also, a committed member examines his or her heart in preparation for joining in with the family of God at the Lord's table. And then finally, I close with this tonight. A committed church member supports the work of the ministry. A committed church member supports the work of the ministry. A committed member gives resources, gives time and talent, right? We, those three T's, time, talent, and treasure to the furtherance of the gospel in the local church, right? It is about the call to be the body of Christ, to be a functioning member of the body of Christ. We must give of our resources, of our time, and of our talent. I want to leave you tonight with this quote from Diedrich Bonhoeffer. You've probably heard me quote uh, Bonhoeffer before. Again, he was one of the greatest minds on Christian discipleship, maybe understood the New Testament uh, definition of discipleship as well as anyone. He died a young man uh, at the hand of the Nazis. And so Bonhoeffer understood the value and, and the great joy, the great privilege that it, would, what it was to, to live in a country where you can gather freely with the body of Christ. He understood what a privilege it was because he understood what it was to not have that. And here's what it said. Here's what he said, excuse me. It is by the grace of God that a congregation is permitted to gathering, to gathering visibly in this world to share God's word and sacrament. Not all Christians receive this blessing. The imprisoned, the sick, the scattered lonely, the proclaimers of the gospel in heathen lands stand alone. They know that visible fellowship is a blessing. They remember, as the psalmist did, how they went with the multitude to the house of God, with the voice of joy and praise, with the multitude they kept holy day. Psalms 42, 4. Therefore, let him who will until now has had the privilege of living in common Christian life with other Christians praise God's grace from the bottom of his heart. He says, let him thank God on his knees and declare it is grace, nothing but grace, that we are allowed to live in community with Christian brethren. Let's pray together.
Lord, we are thankful for your word tonight. And God, we are especially thankful for the church. We are thankful that as your son Jesus came to this earth, lived a sinless life, was crucified for our sins, was buried for our sake and rose for our victory and ascended that one day we might be glorified. Lord, we are thankful that not only did he not leave us alone because you sent the Holy Spirit, but Lord, we're also thankful that he commissioned his church, that he established his church so that as believers we could gather together for the sake of the gospel, for the good of ourselves, and for the glory of your name. And so, Lord, as we commit ourselves to these next 10 weeks or so, God, we pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear the truth of your word as it pertains to us being healthy church members. Lord, even though many of us in this room have been church members for years, decades even, Lord, may we, may we seek through the illumination of your Holy Spirit as, as, he, as he brings to light the truths of your word, ways, God, that we can be more faithful in our church membership. Ways that we can be more faithful to love well, to, to be ambassadors for peace, to be reconcilers. Oh, God, give us a boldness to address things that need to be addressed, but give us a humility to be willing to repent and address the things that exist in our own life. And Lord, build us up, yes, for the edifying of believers, but most of all, God, we pray that you would build us up for the glory of your name and the advancement of your kingdom. And God, we pray that your will would be done here at Locust Grove and these members as it is in heaven. We ask all this in the name of your precious son, Jesus, the head of the church. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Locust Grove podcast. We want to remind you to like and subscribe to the podcast so that you will be notified anytime we post a new episode. We pray that you have been encouraged and challenged by what you have heard in today's episode, and we look forward to joining with you again next week.